Warning, the truly unusual motion picture you are about to see contains many scenes of graphic violence. It is not intended for the faint of heart, nor the young and impressionable. While it is a sad fact that mass homicide and practitioners of blood cults infest our society, the producers of this film wish to express that they do not condone, nor do they want to inspire, any of the human butchery or violence portrayed in this film. If you feel you will be offended by such material, please leave the theater at once. Note, all of the mutilations, bodily dismemberments, and cannibal rituals were performed by seasoned professionals. Please do not attempt any of these stunts at home. Welcome to The Secret Cinema, the podcast that digs in cinema's graveyard. My name is Paulo Carone, my co-host is Carrie Chafee, and on today's episode we're joined by Justin Benson to discuss Jackie Kong's 1987 horror comedy, Blood Diner. In case the warning didn't give it away, much of our discussion is going to revolve around dismemberment, cannibalism, murder, so if that's the kind of stuff that bothers you, you might want to bail out here. If not, here's Carrie with the plot summary. Michael and George, two brothers who own a vegetarian restaurant, have set out to resurrect the five-million-year-old Lumerian goddess, Sheetar. With the help of their uncle Anwar, who is just a brain in a jar, the two brothers wreak havoc across town by killing and dismembering young women in search for the perfect body parts to build Sheetar. Will George and Michael collect all the limbs they need, or will the detectives get a leg up on them? So, when we recorded this discussion, Blood Diner was still available to watch for free on YouTube. In the past week, news broke of a Blu-ray re-release of Blood Diner, which is fantastic news for this undeservedly forgotten film. However, the movie was subsequently removed from YouTube, so I wasn't able to sample some of the clips I would have really liked to share with you. But never fear, our discussion is very descriptive and thorough, and the sample I do have of an encounter between the ancient Lumerian goddess Sheetar and a horny 80s dude in a convertible sums up the film's tone pretty nicely, not to mention the quality of the acting throughout. So, here's that clip, and we'll see you on the other side for our discussion of Blood Diner. Hey, baby, you in the red. Hey, Blondie. Hey, you look kind of nice. You look good. You're like, come home with me tonight. Ah, all right. Come on in, honey. Come on in, honey. I'm hot, bothered, and horny. Hey, baby. Right before I stick my big sausage in you, what do they call you? They call me Sheetar. So this week we're talking about Blood Diner, uh, but first we have a brand new guest. Guest, could you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Justin Benson, and uh, that's, uh, that's pretty much it. That's yeah. your name? <laughs> that is who I am. Yep. So I'm fancy, Justin Benson. Justin Benson. Well, Justin, you basically introduced this movie to us, uh, so can you tell us just about how you found this movie? Yeah, so um, as one does when in, one is in college... You have parties, and during those parties, late at night, you look for things to watch on TV. And we were examining the free movies on Comcast, um, not sponsoring this podcast, I don't believe. Um, and, <laughs> not yet. Yeah, yeah, no, secretly, secretly sponsored. sponsored by Comcast. <laughs> Fuck Comcast. Um, 
Yeah, and we're actually sponsored by AT&T AT Universe. Universe. <laughs> so, uh, way to go, Justin. So, yeah, sorry. Um, so, uh, we were scrolling through the free movies, and we were looking at the synopsis just to find our synopsis. Is that the singularity of synopsis? I, I think synopsis. Synopsis. Sure. <laughs> we were looking through the synopsis. Synopsis. Uh, to find a good movie to watch, and uh, we found one for Blood Diner, and none of us had watched it before, but the synopsis uh, involved discussing uh, naked aerobics and karate, so it naturally seemed like a good option. And it was also probably the first option you came across, because it's sort of the beat. It was pretty close to the time. <laughs> but, okay, so looking at those two together, right, top of the list, drunk, nude aerobics. In karate. In karate. Yeah. Can't pass that up. So um, we watched this movie and immediately fell in love with it because it is just so damn absurd. Um, enough so that on a regular basis, I believe at least twice a year for my remaining two years of college, and then several times after that, we would get together and watch this movie on purpose. Yeah. yeah. So that is... Uh, <laughs> That's afterwards, a great movie to watch on purpose. Yeah. It's, um, afterwards, we've kind of just... Anyone who's uh, been looking for weird movies, we've uh, spread it out to. And actually, this is, I think, the only movie I've ever recommended to Paolo that uh, he hadn't seen before. <laughs> genuinely, ne genuinely never heard of this movie yeah. Yeah, until you brought it up. That's hard to do. It is. It's hard to recommend a movie yeah. to Paolo that he's never heard of. Yeah. So this is why I'm here. No, you're here for many reasons. I'm here for many reasons. You're here because you're basically the, the resident expert <laughs> on Blood Diner. Yes. You're the only person who can, besides your friends, who can say they've seen it this many times. Right, it's true. Besides maybe the director. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> well, and that, I love that tradition because you, Justin, you and your wife, Sarah, introduced me to that tradition of finding really bad horror movies mm -hmm. on... Uh, on demand and watching them. That's how we found the water nun. The water nun. Or it's, I think it's just called the nun. It's just called the nun, but it's... but it's about a nun that a ghost nun that travels through water. Yeah, the poster is her like peeking her eyes out of like a body of water. I think it's a bathtub. A bathtub or something. The best scene in that movie is where the larger woman gets killed by being yelled at by a burbling toilet. <laughs> I think she may also fall down an elevator shaft, but the whole thing starts with the toilet burbling. Yeah. That's like the exact thing with, well, because the only movie I have that's like equivalent to like The Nun or Blood Diner is Slaughter High, and it's another, eight, well, that's an 80s one, like Blood Diner. I don't think The Nun is an 80s one. No, no that's a more recent movie. But they're all, like, all this, whatever this genre, this, like, dis disreputable genre would be called, the defining trait is just the sheer absurdity. Like, mm -hmm. the, they work overtime to make everything as crazy as possible. Yeah, another one I just thought of that Sarah and I watched was... Uh, Santa's sleigh, which is spelled S-L-A-Y, and yeah. Santa has to fight Satan. Or no, Satan is actually Santa, and they play hockey to redeem someone's soul at the end of the movie. As one does, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Why else play hockey, really? That's, Unless I mean, you're redeeming someone's of soul. And of course Santa would be good at hockey. So. He's from as north as you can get. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, so what do you... Okay, it's just... So Let's what do you guys actually? Yeah, <laughs> what do we think about Blood Diner? Because obviously, like anyone listening, probably has an idea of the sort of genre we're talking about, uh, like this '80s, um, really, really low budget, uh, not at least Z grade almost uh, drive-through midnight 
movie, movie. like a double, the movie that would be the second part of a double bill at like the really, really low budget theater in your town, if you have one. That's the type of movie this is, but what, why are we talking about this one versus all the other ones? Like, I think, well, here, Justin, you start. So, you know, for me, this movie walks the fine line being between intentional and unintentional comedy. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe that's like the part of campy films that make them so attractive as like a cult following is because they're funny for multiple different reasons. Yeah. But I think for this one, I mean, the reason why I liked it so much is just because it is so absurd. And it's like, we're watching through it and, I, and I'll come back to this again, but I think the most stable point in the movie is the general story is actually <laughs> not that nuts. I think the general story is pretty basic as far as can't be horror films go but you know i just think that what, what would you say is the general story <sighs> the general story aren't you gonna give or the, the, base, the basic <laughs> plot okay the basic plot is um two young men uh are the owners of a diner and they follow an ancient religion and they've been instructed by their uncle at a young age to resurrect an ancient goddess known as shitar and uh, the movie is is about them going through the process of gathering the parts necessary to resurrect the ancient gods. Yeah, that's a stunningly lucid plot. <laughs> <laughs> and like I said, like crazy, also, right? Also, those two but men are brothers. They are brothers. Two yes, brothers. Two brothers, yep. Two brothers. Two parts. <laughs> yeah, the story, the story is very stable as far as all things go. But I think we talk about stuff like this because it's quotable. It's got some incredible quotes in here that are great for just, like, exclamations to the end of a sentence. (laughs) Like, I would say they're really good, like, if you don't know a bunch of people in a room, that if you add these quotes to your conversation, you will be remembered later on for (laughs) saying these things. Remembered how, though? Are people going to think you're that weirdo who is saying... No, I I think you'll you'll come off mysterious. (laughs) (laughs) Well, give us us an example, Justin. So, um, one of the best lines in there is, this is the best friggin' veggie burger I've had in a son of a bitch long time. (laughs) Um, So, all the trombones that I've played with, whoever may listen, um, that is a line that we use on a regular basis. If something's really good, God, that's the best thing I've seen in a son of a bitch long time. <laughs> now everyone who's listening, add that to your vocabulary and when, when you, uh, when I hear someone out there yeah, saying it. If I ever get invited to a party again, I'm going to start, <laughs> oh. I'm going to start using the, looks like someone had a do-it-yourself lunch meat party. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think it's funny that we're talking about this movie because, for me, this movie just epitomizes what a cult movie should be. In it's, more than one way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny, it's dark, it's weird, there's parts that don't make any sense, the acting is bad, but it doesn't seem like it's bad on purpose. Kind of what you were saying, Justin, it walks that intentional versus unintentional comedy line. Like, there's definitely parts in the movie that are supposed to be funny on purpose, but then there's other things that happen where you think, was that supposed to happen? Or was that line delivery supposed to be that way? And I think the reason we're talking about this movie versus other movies is it is that perfect cult movie, but unlike a lot of the cult movies right now, it's not getting that re-emergence into society. Like, why is The Room so popular, but this movie isn't so popular? Well, or why is Fateful Findings so popular? Or 
Miami Connection. Well, or... and this really speaks to what exactly a cult film is, and uh, at least with The Room, because you're kind of pushing it too broad. <laughs> the, the, sure, every yeah, cult I, film is yeah. not the same, but comparing it to like The Room, which is like the big uh, like underground cult movie right now, is that The Room, as absurd as it is, it's really relatable because like to all of us, there's some sort of way that we can relate to the like I love this person but this person doesn't love me and like there's there's like backstab it's like it's very basic and universal but Blood Diner is so it the reason it's a great cult movie is because it never at any point tries to appeal to anybody other than the people who would love it <laughs> like it's if you are the type of person who would be offended by someone just casually kicking the torso of a woman they dismembered <laughs> that like nothing in this movie is going to sway you to like this but yeah but, I don't think my mom's going to like this movie no. because they pick up body parts with their hands you it's, know? and it's a lot like brain damage in the fact where it's like it's closer to exploitation than anything whereas like brain damage has this like uh is like very united in all of its elements this is kind of more interesting because of how it is so bad in so many ways that it's really impressive how good it is in other ways it has this very wide berth of quality that it kind of constantly is darting back and forth on and so yeah like you guys have said some some of the best moments or some of the best jokes we had to talk about afterwards and be like, is, really, is that a joke? Was Is that just funny because everything is funny at this point? Or is it funny because they blew the line? Or is it funny because they're thinking at a level that's so high above what we expect that we just... Uh, well, yeah. and I wonder if some of the jokes were just the editor having fun. Like the whole thing where that guy gets run over by the van multiple times. <laughs> right. You know? Well, but they had to shoot that footage. That's not an editor Well, thing. but... Because they, there's, they did repeat shots, but they started repeating shots after like four different shots. Yeah. So it's... All right. It's, but let's... Yeah, I guess let's get... Um, I don't really know... Usually with these movies we talk about, it's easier to jump into like here's like a broad concept from the movie, but it's it's tougher for me to do that because so much of like we said, this movie is crazy and it is constantly crazy. Mm-hmm. I guess if anything, it's kind of like Rat Race yeah, in that aspect. I did think of Rat Race, and the other movie I thought of a lot was Get Crazy, uh, oh, yeah. where it just but like in general, this movie has like that airplane esque uh, just onslaught like where if something doesn't work for you within within two seconds there'll be something else being yeah. attempted to try to get your attention except with instead of puns it's mostly female dismemberment yeah <laughs> though of any time somebody says my insert body part is insert uh hyperbolic action that always happens like i give my right arm to get that recipe arm comes off or uh, the guy's like my ears are exploding and then his ears literally explode (laughs) so crazy yeah they make that joke work a couple times yeah and it's after a certain point it's hilarious because you're like (laughs) they couldn't set it up more blatantly like it's it's not about how well they do it, but it's about how blatant and shameless. It well, is. I think the best place to start for our discussion would be to talk about that great disclaimer at the beginning of the movie. That's true. So because I don't think I've ever seen a movie start that way. Not with that much text. Aside yeah, no. from a Star Wars movie, maybe. Yeah, maybe Star Wars. Um, 
and actually brought up the point, like, so the movie I thought of initially for me was Strangers, which is something I saw and didn't know that the text in front of it initially was fake. Yeah. But you, you'd mentioned Fargo as well, kind of like setting up that, hey, this is something real that's an issue or like something that's actually happening. <laughs> Please don't try Please this don't at home. Please don't try this at home. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, having no idea, like, so take me, I'll, take, I'll go, like, I'm going to try and time travel back to sophomore year of college, Justin, real quick. And think, like, <laughs> and think, like, just imagine, like, you are at a party, you are about to watch a movie with naked karate and naked aerobics and karate. And then that text screen <laughs> is the first thing that yeah. you see. At that point in time, I mean, it kind of, I think right from there, it just solidified for me that this is going to be something that I'm going to be watching on a regular <laughs> basis. Yeah. <laughs> Just because it's just so... You immediately so... went on Amazon and we're like, okay, how much is this DVD? <laughs> it's so absurd. <laughs> um, and it, it doesn't let up from there. I mean, like, it's it just, it does not let up from that insanity. So I don't, you don't want to, you want to walk through, like, kind of the storyline through, or... Uh... I mean, yeah, you did give a pretty good summary, but it's... I feel like, yeah, like, I guess go into it a little bit more, because it is pretty thin, but we might as well, just so we have something to branch off <laughs> to discuss the jokes. Well, it's got that great opening where the two son, the two brothers, they're, you know, younger, like, eight They're younger, they're so young that they're different ethnicities. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How young was he? <laughs> they're so young that they like playing with Play-Doh, and... They have one of those clocks where the cat's the cat eyes clock, move back yeah. and forth. And Felix their mom, the their mom's like, where are those little shitheads? She clearly loves her sons. Yep. Um, and she says, you know, hey, you kids, I'm running out. Don't open the door. I ran out of goddamn tampons. And so she <laughs> hops in her car. Drives away. And that, I mean, I'll just stop right there. That is, like, still a shocking line yeah. to me. I can't think of, like, another movie, especially in the 80s, that, like, so callously references tampons as if it's, like, just like, ah, fuck it. And that really speaks to the fact that we, like, a thing that's going to come up a lot during this discussion is the fact that this is directed by a woman. Yes. And we've talked a lot about the dismembered women and just, like, how much it is the movie. But, like, there's this weird ambiguity about the tone of all of it. And I gotta say, as a, as a woman, and uh, someone who has bought tampons, mm -hmm. I have never been like, oh, gotta immediately run to the store and buy tampons. You know, there's these uh, backup things, you know, that you can use in a, in a situation. As a man who has bought tampons. <laughs> I have, I believe, said the line, I have to go buy these goddamn tampons. So, again, like, let's... Another great line. Another, yeah. <laughs> yes, in case you're wondering, uh, husbands, boyfriends out there who have to go buy some goddamn tampons, <laughs> that would be the time to use it. But, it, you know, we also talked about the script is written by a man. And yes. so you kind of have... It's but, almost a weird sort of conflict that's going on between the identity of the film... By having these straight up, like, not anti-women, but very male yeah. influences. <laughs> yeah. But all the male characters are complete idiots yeah. in this movie. absolutely. Also, I wanted to mention that the writer of this film, Michael Saunier, also wrote Prison Ship and Frozen Scream. I thought you were going to say Frozen. <laughs> oh, I, oh, my God. <laughs> Let it go. Turn it around. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I really, I would love to watch Prison Ship. I 
citizenship. Is that the one where the um, movie poster is the ship with the skull in no, it? No, that's ghost ship. Ghost ship, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's immediately where my mind went. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's now an actor. He acts in a lot of really wonderful C-level horror movies. Yeah. Now. Yeah. I could not name a single one of them. I, I was going to write them down, but none of them sounded good. Um, I think one of them was called The Evil Deed. Mm. So, you know, pretty generic pretty horror good. movie names. But, uh, yeah, it's so weird that this movie is directed by a woman. And this was the... She directed two movies in this year. Because this came out in 1987. Mm-hmm. Same year as Brain Damage. No. Oh, that's 88, yeah. isn't it? Every movie that we've reviewed on our show that we liked is from 88. Oh, weird. Yeah. But we like this movie. I know, but... Well, like, I like real, it. Loved. Like, Brain Damage is, like, a movie we love. That's 88. And Married to the Mob is a movie we love. That's 88. And Superstar is a movie that we love that's 88, and this is 87, so it's it's up in the air. Just because you guys were both born in 88, and I was born in 87, okay? I, I mean, this movie represents for 87. <laughs> so, funny story about that, um, about 1987, I guess. Um, after finding this movie, I remember talking to my dad about something, and for some, some reason... Blood Diner came up, and I said, we saw this movie, and it was crazy, and I wouldn't recommend watching it ever, and it's called Blood Diner, and he goes, I think I saw that. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm not going to actually walk you through the plot. If you could walk me through it, that'd be great. Then I don't <laughs> yeah. have to... Then you, then you can prove it to <laughs> me, Yeah, then you can prove it to me. And he did, and he walked through it, he's like, it's like this weird thing, like these cannibal diners. I'm like, oh my god, my dad saw this movie. <laughs> 87, so that would have probably been... Um, before he married my mom, <laughs> like, yeah. like a couple months before yeah. he married my mom, that's that he would have seen this movie. Yeah. So family connection to Blood Diner. Yeah, geez, this was way I can guarantee it. that neither of my parents have seen this movie. <laughs> really? You should ask them. Just give oh. them a brief plot synopsis to save that rings a bell. My mom would be like, there's blood in the title? No. No, thank you. <laughs> She's not into gore. Not into gore. No. no. Some other things about the director. So, her name is Jackie Kong. And I, I looked her up on IMDb. She, after 1987, she really did not direct anything else. She directed, like, one episode of a TV show, and that's it. The last year she directed a movie was 1987, and she directed these two movies. Um, the She directed Blood Diner, and then this movie called The Underachievers, which is... Uh, a comedy about a bunch of misfits that are in a class together. <laughs> That's the literal plot synopsis. Do you think that was released the same plot time summary. as Breakfast Club? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> think Breakfast Club. But um, the main character, Michael, is also in The Underachievers. Is he the one who's, um, like... He might be the underachiever. Mexican? Is he, yes. That's what he is, the yes. Latino-looking... The dark-haired guy. The darker tanner man? Yes. Um, and... Since we're talking about Michael, so that actor, his name is Rick Burke. He uh, was only in two movies, Blood Diner and The Underachievers. <laughs> <laughs> and he, uh, the year after those movies came out, he was in a, a car accident and died. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa! Yeah, he died at he died at twenty eight. And wow. the crazier thing is, he was in this band. And the drummer of the band, he was driving in a car with the drummer, and the drummer was drunk, drove into a pole, and crashed the car, and left this guy for dead, and he, like, ran away. And so, that's how he died. 
band. Whoa, yeah. do you know what band it was? No, they didn't say what the band was. Um, it was like an underground band. But... Probably hurt their touring chances. Yeah, that yeah no I kidding. wonder if the band was one of the bands that was in... Blood the Diner? Yeah. Ooh, I don't know. Yeah, but... So that guy, he had a very promising career because he also <laughs> he also was really big in music videos at the time. He was in a David Bowie music video. He was in a Gladys Knight music video. Man. He was in so that's um, the spectrum right there. Yes. <laughs> he was in a Neil Young music video. Yep, and right and he died in a car accident. Wow. So listeners, don't get in a car with a drunk driver. Don't do it. Especially or a drummer. Or a drummer. <laughs> Yeah, geez. Or uh, being an underground. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All of these things will kill you. Or worship Sheetar. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess then just since we're already talking about the actor, that's a big thing with this movie is the acting. Uh, because if there is one thing that can for sure be said is bad about this movie, it's the acting of pretty much across the board. Yeah. And There's okay. not a single good actor in that movie. Well, and part of it is, okay, we're trying to figure this out earlier because it did seem like the movie was made in Europe for the level of dubbing that is mm -hmm. pretty much omnipresent through this movie. It's almost, I want to say almost every character who appears in this movie, the entirety of their scenes are dubbed. And so not only is... Yeah, it gives it kind of that like Dario Argento yeah, feel. Yeah, it has that Dario Argento feel, <laughs> but there's also like like the character Vitamin C, is that his name? Yeah. The, the That was that guy's actual name? Vitamin C? That, well, that's the character's name. Oh, the character. I don't know if it's his yeah. given name. Oh. That's why I said it was yeah. the character's name, yeah. <laughs> no, man, I didn't realize that was his name in the movie. Yeah, but my friends call me Vitamin. But his, when he talks, you can tell it's like... There's some, like, post-dubbing, specifically because he delivers his lines so fast that the dub version doesn't sound right at all. It's no. just, like, clearly just cramp, trying to cram all the words that the guy said in there. And so it has sentences where he says something like this, and then he goes into the next sentence and just, like, talks. And he's just sitting leisurely, but he's inexplicably, like, motor-mouthing through his scene. <laughs> I wonder which they had first, his dialogue or the acting. Probably the acting. Like, I, I, my genuine theory about this movie, based on just how low budget it seemed and how much of it was out of focus and stuff like that, was it seemed like when when they could get away with it, they didn't sh they didn't record sound on set, and so they just kind of had to like counterize, or they like recorded really bad sound. And they well, just... and you've said before that that is one of the hardest things about making a movie. Yeah, is getting the sound. Sound right. is tough, and it, I mean, like they clearly had a ton of people to work on this, and then sometimes the sound is like it's granted it's post sound, but all the scenes where like the bands are playing, and Justin, you pointed out a couple times, like the there's like music transitions that are really good, <laughs> and so it makes it does make me wonder were they just like so confident with their post sound that they're like let's just do it all in post. Well, and, like, and that goes back to the whole larger point of like this sort of balance between campy and comedy. Yeah. And I think you can apply that balance between like the goodness of the acting yeah. and like what is funny because sometimes the acting being so bad is funny yeah. that you don't realize is it just bad actors or is this an intentional bad scene? Yeah. Like, is that done that way on purpose? Well, and I, the one, one another example I wrote down is when there's a scene where this man and this woman are having sex in, like, a cave uh, near a beach. 
late in the movie. They're not, like, important characters. They're pretty much just there to die. But, um, the, they're, like, the, the woman is laying down on, the, on, like, a towel, and the man is just, like, taking off all of her clothes. She's completely, she gets completely she's naked. She's completely naked, and he Except is, for the Merkin. Yeah, he's up in the Merkin. And he's kissing. She's also wearing her earrings yes. still. That kind of drove me nuts. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, wh- I mean, why would she take them off, but at the same time? Well, but he the, wasn't going to take them off. That's true. <laughs> But the guy is, like, saying, like, I'm gonna fuck you so hard and all this stuff. And he's, like, kissing her. And he's kissing her in a way where, like, he clearly can't talk. Like, his mouth is, like, fully pressed against part of her body. <laughs> Justin's like, just shaking his head. And, yes. and yet his dialogue <laughs> is, like, fully audible with no pauses. Where they're just like, fuck it, you can't see his mouth. He might be talking. But it's not like the lines he was delivering were important enough no, no. to record them. <laughs> I'm not sure you know what they are, don't you? Oh, not, not his. I oh, don't remember okay. his character. I believe there was... Um, so I'm like, don't worry, baby, I'll protect you. You'll be safe here. Or something yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> some, some reaffirming, guess what? You're not going to be safe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 15 seconds later, he's unconscious. Yeah. <laughs> and then, well, and the, the guy who's, the, the two cops that investigate uh. everything in the movie, they are by far the worst actors in the movie. And so every scene with them, it's usually the two of them talking, and they're both bad, and they're, the, the stuff that's happening with them is usually the least absurd, so it just draws so much focus to how bad well, and, their line deliveries one, are. So one of the cops is this middle-aged guy who we think is Greek. He looks very Greek. He's very, like, Mediterranean look. Mm-hmm. Slick back hair. A lot of chest And then hair. he's always fucking licking his lips! He looks like a creep. He's just like... And then the woman is this... I want to say she's a black woman. Or African-American. Her name was Sheba Jackson, right? Sheba Jackson. And she loves to wear jackets that go down to her mid-thigh. It was a 1980s pantsuit. Yes. Yeah. Is that what pantsuits look like in the 80s? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, absolutely. I loved that shot you pointed out where she's walking away. Oh, yeah. And he's, like, trying to oogle her butt. Well, yeah, and again, like, there's, there's these moments. <laughs> you can't even see your butt. There are these moments where it's so absurd, and you're like, that's legitimately funny. Yeah. Like, they did that intentionally, and it's hilarious. But then, like... With, but did they? I, they have to have. Well, like, why else would they put that shot in there? Like, it's a level of meta that that, like, had to be intentional, otherwise... I don't know what anything is. Yeah. Well, and I, we could not figure out the the woman. She very clearly had an accent of some kind, but we Popped could not figure out where she was from. I tried to look her up online, see what where she maybe had an accent from. Yeah, and there were there were times where I thought she was British. There were times where I thought she was from Jamaica. There were times where I thought she was like from North Africa and moved to Europe. And then was trying to do an American accent. Did you it was like identify the country, maybe where she moved from. No, <laughs> the only thing I got was her name. And this, like I said, this is the only movie she's ever acted in. I kind of feel bad for her a little bit because I do think she, of all of them, was trying the hardest. Yeah, to act. Yes. Um, that comes she across. She definitely had the the best like total look, mm-hmm. and she had the most serious role. Where like even like her, the police sergeant doesn't really get comedy stuff, but he's so Greek, get over the top, and then it's just that, that wasn't a Greek accent at all. But it's like yeah. he's like he's like Greeker than a Euro. <laughs> the movie every time, every time he talks, and this woman is like very normal. Like Justin points out, she only had 
seemingly one joke in the whole movie, which is that she answers her car phone and her earring gets in the way, so she takes her earring off and throws it down from the phone <laughs> call. And that's it. And so, yeah, for the Which most... is a very airplane thing, by yeah. the way. Going yeah. back to that comparison, a very airplane Well, and then thing. immediately following getting that phone call in her car phone... One of the brothers drives up, moons her, and like farts in her face, and, and she, she throws, throws her sandwich yeah. at it. And when it hits his butt, he, he farts, farts again. So but like she fart jokes. But but beyond that, she, like, she isn't really creating the joke. She's just the straight the straight man in that situation, and she her her accent is so baffling, and her her delivery is not really great either. So it's just. Uh, instead of it being a boring element, which it definitely would be in a lesser movie, it's just another baffling element that everything pinballs on. Just of. another layer of absurdity yeah. or confusion. Well, and do you guys remember what the one line is that the the male cop says where it's like so terribly delivered, like with no emotion? And it, it was something like, oh my god, I'm so hungry. Like, yeah, that's what it was. Something like that. Where it's just like no, like somehow even less emotion than I just delivered. Was that it. when he was investigating the uh, nude aerobics scene? He's just like, oh, I'm so hungry. It was when they were like driving right in the car. Oh, yeah. And it, it was right after the two <clears throat> brothers had given the bar owners those hungry pills. Oh, yeah. And so they transitioned from the, getting those hungry pills to the cop saying, I am so hungry. <laughs> yeah. I think I just did a better yeah, job. Yeah, that was pretty dead on, yeah. <laughs> well, okay, let's let's talk in in general about the gore in this movie. Let's oh. get into just like the gore, the violence, because that is its own thing. It, this is mm-hmm. an 80s movie. They really care about the gore. The budget went into the gore. It's just like with brain damage. If you're going to make this type of yeah. movie, you have to know that that's people aren't, here for the outfits or the sets. They're here for the gore. And or the they, And the yeah. gore is on point. It, it is it, it does a really good job. I have no complaints about any of the, the gore. The only complaint I had was that twice in the movie when the police are cleaning up a crime scene, they're using their bare hands. To so that's pick a, up again. Parts. You you say it's a complaint, but is that a joke? No, yeah, I know. That's why Because like you're saying like you're complaining about them using bare hands, but they're using their bare hands to grab arms and throw them in garbage bags. <laughs> yeah. So no part of it is like remotely connected to reality. Yeah. Well and then they're struggling with it too, because there's that one like junior cop at the beginning one who's like fumbling with a leg. Someone <laughs> yells at me like throwing legs into bags. Oh, and that, and that too, when the woman on the beach, after she gets dismembered, <laughs> and she, in, in, they go to put her boyfriend on the, the gurney, and her arm is <laughs> strapped down <laughs> on the gurney, and they just put him on her arm and wheel her away, with no comment or acknowledgement of that it. That guy's gonna be in therapy for a for long time. <laughs> well, okay, do one You're of safe, you... Babe. Don't worry one, about it. Do one of you want to describe the, the matzo ball? <laughs> oh, Justin, take it yeah. away. So at one point in time in the film, the two brothers are, um, at multiple t- points in time in the film, the two brothers are going and looking for sluts and whores uh, <laughs> as uh, Uncle Lo- Loose women. Loose women. Yeah, I wrote down at some point where he says, I need lungs and liver from two sluts. <laughs> Shakespearean, yeah. right? Um, so they're looking for uh, two sluts, and they find two of them. At- I, I'm sorry, i got to interrupt. But I wonder if in the, the Lumerian uh, recipe book, when they're trying to make... That's an interpretation, <laughs> or if it is if actually in, sluts. If in it, it says, two lungs from sluts. Well, especially <laughs> it says, like, two lung from... Two Loose women. They yeah. make a point throughout <laughs> the movie. Breathing of, organs. They yes. bring it up probably about ten times that 
they're, a Lum they're trying to perform a Lumerian feast, and a Lumerian feast has not been performed since 5 million years B.C. <laughs> like an absurdly long time ago. They even bring in an archaeologist, remember, to yeah. validate yeah. that this is actually something that's happened. So, like... Is the word sluts like an eternal word, or is there like a was there an equivalent word for sluts? I mean, sluts? I have to imagine that I'm he's interpreting it. Yeah. Well, I'm imagining Lumerian has um, hieroglyphs, and so there's just a hieroglyph that means sluts. Yeah. It just means sluts, <laughs> whores, loose women, generally. And well, he just spices it up. But you remember, too, they're reading out that book that's black magic for, like, lost... For beginners. Like, no, for lost religions. Like, oh, they, yeah. they bring it out a bunch of times. And so that book isn't just Lumerians. It's, like, a grab bag of religions that don't exist yeah. anymore. And that guy has, like, a translation of that and presumably other spells from other religions. <laughs> but, again, that's, like, me really overthinking it. Um, matzo ball head. Yeah, matzo ball head. Hush puppy girl. So, um... There's another part that occurs during the gathering of, of the matzo ball head woman that is great that we'll come back to. But So basically, they bring these two women back to the diner, and they are seducing them. Uh, Michael, being the classy one, um, is seducing one woman with batter. Uh, <laughs> Let me put this batter on your naked breast. He makes breasts. a battered woman joke at one point yeah. in time, which is really I bad. He says, have you ever, yeah. have you ever heard of battered women? Yeah. As he's like putting batter on yeah. her. Oh. Yeah, he made that joke. Man, she was on board with that so fast. She was. That actress, that's all I could think of during that scene was that like, man, this... This actress either really wanted work or just is just... So she was not like, young yeah. either. She was not no, young. No, she was an old... Yeah. Yeah, she, so she probably just really wanted work. Yeah. <laughs> um, so meanwhile, George uh, takes another woman to the back room and is really awkward about it. But while and they're hanging by Sheetar. They're hanging by Sheetar, which has been assembled at this point in time. Um, but while uh, Michael is battering this woman, um, he turns the fryer on and promptly drops her head into the fryer. Where she struggles as one not, does. Not drops. Shoves. He shoves her head in and holds her head down with the, like, fry scooper outer thing. Whatever <laughs> yep. that's called. Now, in all of your imagination, you can think of what maybe a head might look like under this situation. Deep fried. Deep fried. It is not what it looks like when you it know, comes out. And also, they, he put batter on her everywhere but her, her head. It's true. <laughs> Continuity issues all over the place. So basically, when she comes out, her head is a giant matzo ball, or yeah, matzo ball basically. Or hush puppy. Hush puppy of some kind, conch fritter maybe something like that. <laughs> deep fried mushroom. Deep fried mushroom. Yeah. Um, so she's running around now at this point in time. And topless. She has, and she has she's topless with like a black thong. Yep. <laughs> and batter all and over. And batter all over her. And at which point in time, uh, Michael finds a broom. And in his best Prince Fielder impersonation, uh, rips away and swings one home. I was going to say his best Garth Marenghi. Garth Marenghi. <laughs> and uh, her head promptly flies off yes. into the room where uh, Mike, or, uh, Georgie and the other girl are. So yeah, that's, that's just an example. And don't imagine me as being cool, calm, and collected because I'm describing such a horrible scene <laughs> in such a relaxed way. But this, Let like, me walk you through yeah. this. The movie does everything in its power to make it just, like, not... There's no emotional no, stakes to yeah, this. Yeah. You almost have to laugh at it because if you think about what's actually happening, it's horrifying. Oh, yeah. Well, and even to extend it to, into, like, what the end of what you described, when the head flies into the other room where the woman's friend is, she... 
does not notice it, steps over it, scene continues. <laughs> like, it's just like, it's like, it's a transition that doesn't actually Well, and that woman off. gets chopped in half. Yeah. Like, yeah. literally chopped in half with a cleaver. Which, by the way, if you're looking for, like, a stomach of someone, I don't think chopping them directly in half <laughs> is the best way yeah. to procure that. I, I will say, that, so, this movie, even though it's really gory, it's not gross, disgusting, gory-like brain damage. Yeah, well, it's because it's almost never believable gore in Blood yeah. Diner. It's like over-the-top gore, and there's a couple moments where you're like, whoa, they really did not need to make this realistic. Like, when um, when George is wrestling Jimmy Hitler, which, listener, that uh, this there's no way to really fully set this up, basically. <laughs> um, there's a character, there's a wrestler named Jimmy Hitler, and maybe, Justin, you can explain it, but somehow George ends up wrestling. Him. So, apparently... Yeah, where was that segue? <laughs> well, were, that's what I was saying. Like, at that point in time in the movie, things become a little, like, disjointed. Yeah. And, and during the whole beginning of the film, there are periods where Georgie's, who's the cook at the diner, is watching this TV where there's, it looks like, I guess, semi-pro wrestling going yeah. on. And the main guy there is Jimmy Hitler. And Jimmy Hitler is exactly as you would think a very large man with blonde hair and a Hitler mustache. Yep. And, and he course, wears the armband. The armband, yep. And so at one point in time, like, George gets really, like, flustered every time he sees him. Like, he's like, oh, I could do that. Why is this guy in charge? It seemed like they kind of cut out this subplot about wrestling. Yeah, it, it really, it, it makes literally no sense to the entire movie as a whole. So over the course of the time, he gets more and more flustered until there's a commercial where Jimmy Hitler is challenging anyone? anyone to come fight him. Yeah. And so, <laughs> a great point in time for George to now practice his wrestling against Jimmy Hitler in the ring. Yeah, it's like the middle of their killing spree, too. Yeah. I, I wonder if the the team from It's Always Sunny has seen this movie, and they watch that part, and that's why they have that episode where they all become wrestlers, and they're like the, the eagles. Isn't that... I mean, there's like a ton of things that that could be referencing. I highly doubt it's blood either. You but, never know. But the, the reason I get I bring that up is because during the fight, George bites Jimmy Hitler on the leg, and it is inexplicably the most realistic wound of the whole movie. And he like they and they know it's realistic because they show a close up of him like pulling it open and using the wound to spray blood over this girl who's the virgin that they're saving to sacrifice to Cheetah, Cheetar later. And so, uh, but like they, there's that, but then other times, like when the, uh, Stan gets his right arm chopped off, it just like, they like, they show the shot of the hatchet coming up and then you hear like a whoop noise and then the arm is gone. <laughs> Just with, a red, just with a red stump. God, that's, a, there's so that's another element that makes no sense is there's this rival vegetarian restaurant from the two brothers that's run by this guy named Stan. And Stan is a ventriloquist? Apparently. His only, his only customer is a puppet, a weird... Weird looking puppet. Yeah, sits puppet near that looks front. like Torgo from uh, Manos: The Hands of Fate. <laughs> like, <laughs> or like we like I because based on his his accent is like this, so it's, it's like I don't know what else he's supposed to be. Uh, but that was dead on. That's it, pretty much it. Well, and he just it, like it will, when the police come to interview uh, Stan, they'll show that like Stan is doing is mouthing the puppet but the puppet sits at the counter with a plate of food and no one else is like hey that's a puppet or at one point 
I feel like don't the brothers come into Stan's place and like hold the puppet hostage <laughs> yeah. or something? Like it's but it's it's clearly it's always a puppet. It's never shown even moving. Well, and even when the cops come in there, they turn to face the puppet while he's talking as if they're listening to the puppet. <laughs> yeah. So again, I- I for a second forgot that that guy had a puppet, and I thought that that was Anwar, but just like in a costume. They put the brain in a costume. We didn't even talk about Anwar. Yeah, Yeah. we we gotta go back. We gotta go back. So okay, well, in the very beginning scene. after the mom leaves the kids to go get her goddamn tampons, uh, the kids hear someone pounding at the door. And they hide behind, like, a toy chest, and the, like, the door is chopped apart, and the door is transparently made of cardboard. Like, it couldn't be a cheaper (laughs) door. It chops through the door, tears it through, and then just, like, rips it off the hinges and comes through, and he has, like, a hatchet in his hand, and he's covered in blood, and they're like, Uncle Anwar! And he's like, I'm so happy to see you kids! And he, like, starts talking to them and gives them these... Covered in blood. Covered in blood. Gives them these Lumerian necklaces and like from five million years, years ago, ago five million yeah. years ago and tells Belongs them in a museum. tells them all of all this <laughs> stuff and then he goes outside uh, and and gets shot then cut to I really soon after that they cut to the, the two brothers much older digging up his grave and in like it's 20 years later they dig up his grave and remove his still fresh and viable brain from his and brain stem and brain stem and eyeballs and they but that's at they get his body from the graveyard where his gravestone says i'll be back (laughs) (laughs) and they when they're getting his body they knock that one uh, cemetery guard yeah. in the back of the head with a shovel and his eyes pop out. Which I'm going to say is actually kind of an important moment in the film because I think it just It sets of, the tone. It sets yeah. up the absurdity that you're going to witness because they do that and then they're laughing. Well, and then after the after that, yeah, that out, music yeah. cue you pointed out where it's like, la, 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 It's so, la, like graduation la. music starts happening. Well, and even they like, the one, George is like making, to Michael, he like grabs the Isla's body and was like, Whoa, and like makes fun of it and then picks it up and throws it effortlessly <laughs> yeah. like it was yeah. 20 like the amount of foam bodies that are thrown in this way it's like that's another running joke where it's like they must have realized how funny it was there's yeah. no way that they're like it's not it's not inherently believable even remotely and but it's just like at the same time it's so it's so crazily absurd and draws attention to like the artifice of everything that it's 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 so tough to decide exactly what they're going for every time they do a gag like that. But they must have had just like a unlimited supply of fake body parts too. Yeah. Oh yeah, those extra the scenes where they're showing like the the wreckage of like murder sprees. There's just like bodies and body parts everywhere. Well, it really reminded me overall of kind of like the movie that a high schooler would make if yes. he had an unlimited yeah. budget. And wanted to make a horror film. Yeah. Because it seems like a lot of it was inside jokes that didn't translate or were like, they. that's the moments that are like that, it's funny, but it's, is it bad? And then there's the stuff that was really funny. It just seemed like, I don't know, there's this kind of weird student film, like student professional film oh, and, well, feeling. You, you putting it in that way of like a, like a high school kid yeah. is like perfect because I remember when I was a kid 
and I would write movies with my limited understanding of movies, I would write them based on just like, all right, what are the cliches that I see and everything? Cool, I just got to check those marks. And I remember writing a movie about this like volcano that erupted in the 1800s, and so much of the movie involved people finding information through TVs. <laughs> like, something like that, where I was just like, whatever, this this would happen. This volcano erupted in the 1800s, but whatever. And then, like, like stuff like that. And this, a good example of that is with Anwar, after they dig him up, they put his brain and eyes in a jar, and the jar is just always bubbling. <laughs> it has, like, some sort of electronic component, yep. even though the brain appears to, like, talk uh, it telepathically. Also. And it, breathes. And breathes. And, uh, and it, it's like, there's no need for it to look like that. It just looks like that because they're like, oh, well, a brain in a jar looks like this. Well, and at the beginning of it, too, the first time you actually see him in a jar, there's this lightning effect that's there for, like, a couple of shots, and then it's never there again. Yeah. It's like they decided that that was not a good idea, but they didn't want to actually remove it. I bet yeah. what it was is they were like, they did all of it in post-production, and after the third or fourth time of putting it in, they were like, we don't need to do we don't really that. It's right. a lot of extra like, work. God, that brain jar is in it a lot. Oh, in the brain jar, you can see, like as you point out, you can see the power cord. They yeah. move it around, and so it's like, it's such, such a complicated effect to just be like, it's a brain in a jar, but they're like, no, we gotta, it's gotta look this one crazy way. Well, and that's another character that talks with nobody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, again, yeah, it, can you guys answer, is is Anwar telepathic once he's in the jar, or is he, is, does he have a means of communicating that I didn't, that was like, so there's like this, um, oh, good like, question, I so, didn't even think about the fact that he didn't have a mouth. Yeah. What I always thought was, you know, there's like that black mass on the top of it that's supposed to be something that's allowing for that communication, that theory falls apart, though, when they put him in Sheetar's body later on in the movie, yeah. when he's still talking. And I, I remember sitting there watching and be like, well, how is he talking now? Because, like, my whole concept of the way... Even drunk, can, yeah. you were like, this makes no this sense. This makes no sense. Yeah, they, once they take him out the I door, will believe everything else, yes. but not this movie. No, no, this, yeah. uh, that's enough. He can't <laughs> talk this way. Also, I, I it just saw this in my notes, but... This movie, at least twice, has hilarious flashbacks. And the funniest one to me is when Anwar's brain in a jar has flashbacks to footage that is seemingly not shot by the crew. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, B-movie footage that is just yeah, of, seemed... like, like mm-hmm. stag films of women, like, rolling around naked. Like, it's like... It's like something weird, 1960s They're kind era. They're getting beat up, too. Like, women yeah. getting beat up, like, fetish videos from, like, like decades before the movie was made. And it's just like, what? <laughs> what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, what? what is happening? Like, it's, it, they don't, it, it's clearly not the footage, so it's not like, like, Justin, again, you pointed out that it's not Anwar that we're seeing right. beat up these women. So... Is, but is it supposed to be? Like I think it's supposed to be, because I think the whole point of him as a character... I'm going to get actually into character analysis here. The whole point of him as a character... Nobody has thought about this he's movie. He's supposed to be mentoring these kids and fixing the wrongs. And by wrongs, meaning getting off this path to um, resurrect Shitar that he had gotten distracted on. So like that, that whole thing with him... Um, beating the women, I guess, is to show that he kind of got too involved in the whole process. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, the thing that ends up bringing him down. Again, I find this really weird that I'm talking serious about this. The thing that brought him down was the fact that he 
must have gotten attached to these Glee Club girls that he <laughs> specific, specific quote is, I lost my genitals in my life because of my lack of discipline with the Glee Club girls. <laughs> Which, again, he, they never mention it, but it kind of implies um, that he cuts off his own genitals because he's distracted by the Glee Club girls. So... I yeah. did not think about it that way. Right. So it's so. But it's, wait, does he? Because was that what the he has a hatchet in his right hand and his, his genitals, genitals in the, the other. other? So he's holding on to his genitals. I assumed he was that meant he was masturbating, but both both are equally valid. It seems it's possible. <laughs> but he says he lost them, so I, it must. He mean, dropped them when he was he, running over to his. Yeah. Yeah. When he yeah, walks into the house, he doesn't have them in his hand, so something happened. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. He must have fell down in someone else's yard. Yeah, just accidentally casually dropped them. I'll pick those up later. Maybe a neighborhood dog (laughs) guy. They didn't include that scene, unfortunately. And that is a reference to teeth. (laughs) But yeah, like him as that character, I mean... That's what. That's why he's there. He's kind of like sherpaing these kids through. Yeah, the descriptions their I read were that he brainwashes the two boys. Yeah, he does because he early on he's telling Michael to practice his hypnosis. Yeah. Um, and Georgie seems to have some sort of learning disorder of some kind, so what must not have been difficult for him to uh, get him to follow, and I think follow that, the lead. I think that the movie. I think having a woman direct this movie helps make it not as offensive as it could have been because everyone in this movie is represented as stupid except some female characters like Sheba Jackson is not is not stupid no. and she mm-hmm. saves her the male cop in the end uh, and essentially... Well, he saves her, too, remember? Because he can't find a parking spot. Yeah. yeah. So he couldn't find a parking space. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, <laughs> and, she, but, and also the archaeologist who explains the whole thing, she clearly is like, Good at her job. Weirdly good at the, her job. The Barbara Streisand lookalike. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And um, yeah, there's just like even like the the the, the virgin the virgin girl like they don't make her stupid. They no. just they, she's not really a character, but they don't like they don't humiliate her any more than she is humiliated anyway. Yeah. yeah. And actually, though, I would talk about this. Let's talk about the, the nude aerobics scene. Because <laughs> this is just we have not talked about it. This is just a brief thing. I think this is like a perfect example of like. A, a movie not directed by a woman, this is a very, this would be a very problematic scene. Uh, very early on, the Virgin is at, what is the name of the restaurant? Is it just Tut- called? Tutman Cafe. Tutman Cafe. Yeah. All right, so at, she is at Tutman Cafe, the Brothers Cafe, and she's with these cheerleader friends, and they're talking about, like, the rivalry they have with this other these other cheerleaders and they're like first we went vegetarian and they were vegetarian and now we started doing aerobics and they started doing aerobics and that third thing hold on I'm getting a ticket that's yeah. that's it right that's and she like, like runs verbatim. out verbatim good job and, <laughs> yeah good memory and so they and like is it the next scene is it the very yeah. next scene well in the and you can see the the I wish we knew the name of the virgin character yeah. it's like Kimberly or something like that that I genuinely. Like that's why towards the end of when we were watching, I was asking you guys like, "What was his name? What was their names?" I realized I had no idea anybody's name. You really only learn the first names of the main the two main guys, Anwar and Anwar the cops, and the cops, and then the other. But I don't think I could tell you the name of the male cop. Yeah, and I, no. Sheetar's name is Sheetar and Jimmy Hitler were the only two where I was like, I definitely yeah. know their names. <laughs> I do think they mention it at one point in time, but she's pretty much just like. I'm gonna the call virgin. the Virgin Kimberly just so we okay. can. Uh... All right, Kimberly. So 
But so Kimberly clearly looks uncomfortable with whatever the third well, thing yeah, was yeah. that the cheerleaders were referencing, and she is. It's implied that she is not going to participate if they go through with the third thing. Cut to next scene. The cheerleaders are doing nude aerobics. Nude aerobics, technically well, topless, topless yeah. but bouncy aerobics is the key. It yeah. just and then like there's a woman who's operating the camera and she is inexplicably topless. Also, uh, she's even wearing a different outfit than yeah. everyone else. Yeah. she just couldn't. Put it's like shirt a full on. body leotard, but she like pulled the leotard down so that her boobs hang over. God, that would be the so neckline. Yeah, it seemed like. But she's like, she's like, come on, ladies, we gotta get bouncing. We gotta show these other girls that we're the best new aerobics fest and she's like really coaching them and it's just it's like any movie this would be weird and even there's like a sign above them that says the nude aerobics and they're all they're bouncing and like they're doing some sort of choreographed the dance the aerobics they're doing are not impressive they're just no. running in place yeah basically actually. then all of a sudden there's like the the woman who's leading the class is like calls up a guy to start leading the class who is also topless by the way also yes. topless fair enough uh, but definitely the only man in the class until uh, a guy walks through the doorway wearing a Ronald Reagan max, mask, and it has a machine gun, and shoots everybody, <laughs> kills everybody, and then just gore, and cu- constant close-ups of, like, bullets hitting people in the head, and the blood spraying all over people's faces. And their and, boobs. And their boobs, and then everyone falls down dead, and you see, like, the... There's like turkey carving, electric turkey carver knives. Uh, the guy pulls one out and is like cutting yeah, so into a woman's butt. The guy who, the guy who's wearing the Reagan mask is Michael. Is Michael? And then there's a, the other brother, George, is wearing a mask, but we couldn't figure out what mask his his was. Some other politician. Some other yeah. politician, but yeah, the it just like it probably this, like a Jimmy Carter mask. <laughs> but this scene is probably. It's less than two minutes long. It's just like this, like boop, like hit you really quickly. We're, it's within the first ten minutes of the movie. Which, also, by the way, that was one of the taglines that got me to watch the film. Yeah, the dude aerobics. aerobics. So sophomore in college, me was I guess a little disappointed that it was only a two minute scene. Um, but well, and I digress. The karate too. The karate yeah. is. The woman on from the cave sex scene. Uh, yeah, that was like thirty seconds after, and it's after the, her boyfriend gets knocked out, uh, and George is gonna kill her. She is completely naked, and she's like backing away, and he's like moving the axe at her, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna chop you, I'm gonna chop you, and then she presumably starts doing karate. It's terribly shot, and it's like clearly nobody involved in the production knew what karate was. They just knew that it was a thing that happened in movies sometimes, mm-hmm. and so there's like. Like sound effects while this woman is like vaguely flailing her arms at Michael, and we don't see Michael really. We see his back, so he's kind of like shifting, like she's doing something. She eventually knocks him out, and then uh, she gets a stalactite in the brain. Yeah, yeah. It just falls and hits her in the head, and she's dead. Oh, but, we we have got to get you in on the sound effect game. Here, good. You can make some good money. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I always used to, like, fuck with people at some of my jobs where, and, like, when it was really quiet, I would just go, <laughs> I wonder if that's going to show up in the recording. But uh, <laughs> I used to do that stuff all the time. It's so fun uh, doing sound You're effects. You're pretty good. Hire me now. Uh, you can contact me <laughs> at pcarone at secretcinemapodcast.com. I, uh, I have never uh, gotten to do this before, so I'll work for very cheap. Please hire me. <laughs> Paolo.crone at geocities.biz. Biz. Slash Angel Fire. Slash Angel Fire. <laughs> Dot geocities again. <laughs>
slash backslash five backslashes black backslash live journal. Not Man, you're live it. Yeah. You're, you're it. <laughs> it is a live journal site, though, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> half of the entries are him crying in middle school, and then the other half. There's, are a, him. there's a ten year break. <laughs> <laughs> Surprised you remember the year login. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm impressed. What can I say? God. Live journal. Well, and you were saying, like, okay, they advertised it as nude aerobics and karate. Which and I guess it makes sense. That's, like, three minutes of the movie. Right. Because if they had advertised it as a cult cannibalist murdering young women, would you have watched that movie? No, probably yeah, not. Yeah, I mean, probably it, not. it suggests a much more depressingly gruesome movie. Like, because it, it, that type of thing, like, cult and murder and uh, cannibalism-themed horror movies... Uh, from the 80s are it's like gore and grossness and lasciviousness are like the name of the game it's very likely that when you pick just like a random bad 80s horror movie because there's so many of them it's probably going to be a total piece of shit and very likely also a depressing experience because of how little effort is put into this but yeah like the pitching it on the new aerobics karate thing kind of is a more accurate appeal to its audience. Like, the ideal audience is someone who's gonna be like... like, like well, because it's a funny movie. Well, but also, let me just put it... I guess I'll put it this way. This is a perfect movie for teenage boys. And you, <laughs> yeah. teenage boys yeah. don't necessarily know that a movie... Like, it's that's before you have the notion of, like, campiness, like, instilled in you, but to, to, for the most part. Uh, yeah. But teenage boys will definitely watch a movie with karate or kung fu or something like that and, and guaranteed me. boobs like mm -hmm. those two things are that's like that's true there are guaranteed boobs in this and by the time you get to lots of boobs, boobs. You've, you've been introduced there's a bunch of gore we see the security guard get his eyes booped out and <laughs> there's like <laughs> enough the, the goddamn tampons line yeah. up and so by that point you have a you have an idea of what the movie's like and so if you get to the that scene with the boobs and you see everyone get shot and you're like really surprised by it then you this movie's not for you. you. Yeah. yeah, but otherwise... <laughs> you can get off of this stuff. You're probably sold otherwise. If it's a movie for you, you're sold by the time that you realize there's not going to be that kind of boobs yeah. the rest of the week. Well, Though you do see Sheetar's boobs uh, a I, lot. They are spooky. Spooky, yeah, spooky boobs. gold boobs. And you see, like I said, karate woman's boobs. And um, cave woman's boobs. Caves, mm -hmm. Well, cave woman is karate woman. Oh, you're right. If I remember correctly, too, the other movie that I think we watched, either not that night or the weekend after or something like that, was Hot Dog Movie. <laughs> hot not... Dog The Movie? Hot... Is either Hot Dog The Movie or Hot Dog Movie. One of the two. Hot Dog... It was about skiing. I think that's Hot Dog The Movie. Yeah. Okay. I've never Which heard of that. Which also had a similar boob-related tagline, <laughs> yeah. I believe, probably. I'm married now. It's okay. Weird! <laughs> <laughs> You're married. Um... It's weird because I've known you since you're 11. Yes, it's true. <laughs> yes, true. Um, so I I want to go back to the director Jackie Kong for a yeah. second because I found out some really great things about her. Um, also, some of the other movies that she directed. So you know on IMDb where if you go to like Leonardo DiCaprio's page. His bio will be like, Leonardo DiCaprio is an amazing, innovative actor who started acting at the age of blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. These are his major roles. He lives in California. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's like a paragraph, maybe two paragraphs. Okay, Jackie Kong's bio is five paragraphs. <laughs> <laughs> and it 
doesn't give us any information about her. It's all about the movies that she directed. It barely tells you anything about her. So I still have no idea how she got to direct these movies, like what made it so that she was the one that got into this industry or how she became like a horror comedy director. No idea. I have no idea. I even looked at her Wikipedia page. Do we know that it's actually her real name? Well, uh, ooh, I don't know. Because it would make sense that if you were a female director at this point in time in Hollywood and you're starting out and the gigs that you're getting are these movies, yeah, that you may not use your real name. That's yeah. true. And it said that she got to direct her first movie when she was 23. Cool. So, I, but I think it is her real movie. Well, it should be like her Sophia real name. Coppola. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is her real name. Because she is now a real estate agent in Los Angeles. And so I think she built her reputation as like, I was in the industry, buy a house from me. <laughs> Can you imagine how weird it would be to like know that she did Blood Diner and then be have her be your realtor? Oh my gosh. Based on the I, door in that opening scene, I wouldn't buy a house yeah. from her. <laughs> <laughs> but knowing that she directed Blood Diner, I would be like, please Can help you me be, pick out my yeah, house. Yeah. You know? Um, I also found out that uh, she, her mother was a friend of Marlon Brando. Weird. And it didn't say how good of a friend they were, but... Again, Sofia Coppola. (laughs) (laughs) And it also said that her third husband was a rocket scientist. But it was in the past tense, so I think they're either not married anymore or he is dead. Or no longer a rocket scientist. (laughs) Yes, who knows? Said she had two daughters as well. But one of the main things from just looking up information about her is they said that she really pioneered the sub-genre of like horror, black comedy horror movies. Really? Yeah. Wait, did her bio say that or? There were a lot of like cult film websites that I found that brought her up as one of the people who helped really Mm -hmm. foster that into being. And one and her first movie, which if I have this correctly, she directed at twenty three, is called The Being, and it stars Martin Landau, and he plays a cop, and he teams up with a scientist to save a rural town from a boy who is mutated by hazardous pollution. So it sounds like an episode <laughs> of the X Files. Yeah. Yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. But it's supposed to be funny. And also Martin Landau's in yeah. it? Like, what the hell? And then she was in this movie, or she she made this movie with Linda Blair called Night Patrol, which is about a hapless police officer who is transferred to the night shift as he pursues a career as a stand-up comedian. Weird. Yeah, so she did do these, like, weirdly serious movies that are also comedies. And so I think that that's part of the reason why she has this reputation as one of the pioneering B-level horror directors in the 80s. But yeah, like I said, after 87, she didn't direct any more movies. So I wonder if she just had kids or, you know, got married or what, but it's too bad because I feel like she could have been the yin to Frank Henenlotter's yang. Yeah, definitely. Um, It's it's a really interesting point of view that they're definitely, like, there's not a lot of, um, uh, there definitely were not a lot of successful 
female directors in horror in the 80s, or right. still to this day. Well, and, but, and like, just Asian directors. Asian, too, yeah. yeah. So, like, it's a really interesting point of view that would have been great to see, like, way more work from her. And I would love to see some of these other movies yeah. based on Blood Diner, because Blood Diner does not suggest a person who makes, like, absolutely unwatchably boring movies. Right. It suggests someone whose failure is is still going to be based in, like, trying something. Right, yeah. and somewhat intentional. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because, again, going back to that blurred line that we can't really determine, it's... I'm, at no point in time while watching the movie am I ever like, this is a poorly directed film. No, like, That never yeah. jumps out at all. She, yeah, she's not a bad director. And in fact, like, there's a lot of instances where, like, the scenes are shot really well and they flow together. Mm-hmm. It's just what's going on in the scene that is <laughs> ridiculous. Well, yeah, it's all the, like we said, the yeah. main weakness is the acting. Yeah. And, and I mean, other. part of that is her fault as a director. You're supposed to direct I, your I actors, mean, but... It does seem like she was... I, I, this is presuming a lot, and someone correct me if I'm wrong, but it does seem like she is directing in a way that suggests that she doesn't have a formal education in film. Like, this... It seems like she was able to do this just because she she knew somebody or was able to get into the industry... This is not like she was hired out of film school to make right. movies like this. Right. Because, yeah, the directing is really interesting because she knows to keep stuff going on in the frame. She knows that the viewers come to be entertained. Yeah, never and she keeps bored. You entertained. Oh, there's, there's, there's no downside. There's a lot of shots that are out of focus. There's a lot of shots where the what is going to happen with the camera is telegraphed, which is like a Pink Flamingos level directing thing. So it's... I, 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 I This is something I nitpick on. So I'm going to say... This is not a movie that could possibly be called well directed, but it's sure. at least so competently put together that she, like, she has an entertainer's instinct, and yeah. that's really what matters. That's like I also wouldn't call like any Zucker's brother movie well directed either, but they know what an audience wants, mm-hmm. and they're just working overtime to please you, and that's that counts for so much. Like this, like we said, the acting is bad. The plot completely falls apart at a certain point. <laughs> we can't decide whether or not certain parts are misogynist, and yet we're still talking this joyously about this this yeah. movie because they they wanted to make you have a good time, and yeah. we had a good time. Yeah, it it definitely leaves sort of a confused feeling afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Like, what have I just well, watched? And, but yeah, go ahead. But it's it's exactly that. You you're kind of like you feel a little bit bad. For enjoying it as much as you do. Um, <laughs> but again, like it, even after going back to one of the points you made, with all the stuff going on, I've seen this movie probably ten times, maybe more, and I was noticing stuff the first time watching this movie. Granted, yeah. this may be the most sober I've ever been watching this <laughs> um, And I would recommend, if anyone is going to go uh, watch this, that a couple beers ahead of time are probably oh, necessary. Yeah. Well, and do you have any drinking game rules that you usually play? Well, anytime... It seems like anytime there's a severed limb, you any, should Yeah, play. anytime there's a severed limb, there's a good one. Uh, you can take a shot there. Uh, anytime vitamin C is on the screen. <laughs> anytime, yeah, anytime there's... Blood spray or vomit spray, take yeah. a drink. Oh, yeah. I'd also recommend not necessarily eating during the <laughs> film, because uh, it does kind of have a like lower-level nausea feeling. During... Oh, and all the food they serve looks so gross. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, let's talk about that a little bit, yeah. too, because the whole movie is this vegetarian diner, and they constantly show this, like, like, there's this one piece of food that was, like, a bowl made out of lettuce, filled, it literally was filled, filled with, with mayonnaise, mayonnaise. and it had 
black olives in it. Yeah. And like, like green onions on something. the side. Yeah, it just looks like the food looks so repulsive, and that's not the food that has human body parts in right. it, presumably. And then And it's a vegetarian restaurant, but they're serving serving fish fingers. And I made the point, like, fish has a very specific texture. So don't you think those people would know they're eating humans? Well, and we actually didn't even really talk about that. So as they're harvesting these bodies, uh, the remains that they don't use, they are cooking in the vegetarian uh, restaurant. restaurant. Um, Ergo the name Blood Diner. Wait, did we even mention that Sheetar has to be built out of parts of women? There's a lot we have (laughs) to cover. There's so much going on. Listener, this... This is a movie that, if just just it's to understand seeing. what we're talking about, seek out this movie. This is didn't you say it's on YouTube? It is on YouTube, yeah. and I will probably link this on YouTube on on Facebook through the page before we actually show this so people can see it. But if you're listening to this and you still haven't seen this, get a friend or more, many friends, Watch and this drink a bunch. People. And you, this is like a perfect party movie. Even if you all hate. This movie, there's so much to riff on in this movie, and if you love it, there's so much to love. And it's like, and it really feeds into what you expect from this genre, for better or for worse. I feel yeah. like you, Justin, have gained a few friends from this movie. I have. I've probably lost a couple too. <laughs> <laughs> really? Well, I have a really good example. So the last Halloween party we had, we put this on, and. Someone had brought some friends with them, oh. and at that point in time, they those friends immediately left. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like Whoa. They, I think it was by, it was probably a new aerobics scene where they're like, "All right, this is enough. I can't take this. I'm gonna go." Where, meanwhile, like everyone else who see, has seen it before, and a couple people who had <laughs> stuck around, and so it's an acquired taste, yeah, for sure. That but it is really good with a group of people. Yeah. And some beverages, because, you know, you can all enjoy each other's laughter at things that no human should be laughing at. <laughs> yeah. right, do you guys have any other, like, spare things that you just wanted to bring up? Um, there, so there's a couple of really good scenes involving vehicles that happen. <laughs> yeah. uh, one of them is before uh, the brothers go into a bar, they get um, they get told that they don't have any ID, so they can't go in, so they throw one of the bouncers into, like, into the road. Meanwhile, there's a car <laughs> going by with that, um... It's got the hydraulics, so it's bouncing, yeah. Um, and promptly bounces on top of the bouncer's head and crushes his head. Um, it's, it's, and everyone starts laughing! Everyone starts laughing. They're like, ha ha, like yeah. pointing at the guy. And that is a really good microcosm of the film as a whole. It's yes. kind of like that whole, like, this is a horrible thing that's just happened, but everyone's laughing and nobody well, cares. And then the other bouncer's like, okay, you guys are good. Alright, you guys are it. fine. Let's go. <laughs> that's it. Well, and, and, God, and actually that death reminded me so much of, um, like, what this movie... The, the sort of subgenre of this movie really falls into, which is it's like a trauma movie. Yeah, it's so much definitely like a trauma movie because that death specifically is so much like a death in the Toxic Avenger. But in Toxic Avenger, it's a little boy who gets oh. run over by a speeding car instead of a bouncing car. And in Toxic Avenger, they give him like a cantaloupe head and they filled the cantaloupe with blood so that when the tire runs over, there's like a gory oh. explosion. And so that, which is just like super repulsive and trauma, it's. Trauma loves being repulsive. That's what they're trying to do. This movie, the gore is not so much present. It's it, like it happens slower. It happens in a way where it's like this is all about the gag. This is not about your emotional right. reaction to it. You are not supposed to feel at this anything. point in time. You're still watching the movie, so so you're gonna be fine with what we're doing here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 
And then the, the other scene um, involving a vehicle is when Georgie is on his way to go uh, find the girl at the cave. <laughs> He's listening to music, which the soundtrack at this, aside from like the public domain classical music, is all like late 50s, early 60s, like chubby checker style music. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so really, again, kind of conveys that joyous tone along with it. Um, so he's driving along and he, he sees a biker and he decides at this point in time that he's going to run down the biker. Mm -hmm. So he runs him down and promptly looks in his rear view mirror, finds out that the biker's still alive, uh, reverses over him, looks uh, forward, he's still alive. And this continues for maybe two, two or minutes? minutes? Yeah. Two or three minutes. <laughs> well, it's, it, they, they escalate it perfectly because like the first, like the first time he's standing, he gets run over, looks in the rearview mirror, and he's, like, on his stomach, but he's, like, crawling. So he backs over him, and then he's crawling, like, a different direction. It runs over him again, looks in the rearview mirror, he's, like, standing up and limping yeah. away, like, <laughs> one sore leg. And it's just, like... My favorite <laughs> thing, though, is Georgie, every time he runs over the guy, he just laughs hysterically yeah. at the Well, guy. and that goes back to the soundtrack, too, because there's this this classic, like, late 50s music, da, 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 very da, happy going da, on, da, 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 da. like the ba doo <laughs> like, <laughs> and so like the dreaming of Christmas again, again. <laughs> at, at this this point in time this to this gag is totally fine because nothing is absurd as what you what you've seen thus far yeah it, it's all by just, that time you know it's you, by this point in time joke. it's all yeah yeah so and then the I guess the only other thing would, would be the music which I kind of already touched on yeah but it's just it's so interestingly, like, very... Well, like, and we, you brought up, Justin, you brought up Mondo, New York, <sighs> and yeah. towards the end, when the guy is performing mm -hmm. and he's wearing that crazy costume. Oh, god! Yeah, it has a very similar... Like, it's a dirtiness, almost. Yeah. Mondo, New York is in the 80s, too, Yeah, right? I think it's 87, also. Oh, wow. Uh, but it's, like, it's very much... You guys weren't grossos like I was as a kid, but I was, like, that type of kid who's obsessed with, like, weird ugly subcultures of America that was just like, oh, why do people like this stuff? Like, there's this thing called the Jim Rose Sideshow Circus, uh, where it was like, like, the modern day equivalent of like, carnival freaks. And there was like a very, there's a freakos. lot, like, yeah, freakos, like they say in the movie. But there's a <laughs> lot of that stuff in the 80s and 90s. I feel like Mono New York is like, a really great example of it where it's just like yeah like sure you can be a mainstream normal guy and like rock and roll and stuff like that or you can be a cool guy and come to a church and watch a guy bite a rat's head off and then throw it at you <laughs> like like that sort of stuff and what the cool kids are doing this days. movie is like for the type of people who like <laughs> who have that dark of a sense of humor but don't necessarily want to feel bad about it after it's <laughs> like feel really sad and it's not a movie where you like it is gross but it like really is like slightly like nudging you to be like but come on it's funny right it's not we're this we're all kidding around here it's a joke yeah that woman just got cut in half but she's it's a it's she's a fine. Yeah, it's fine she'll be all right <laughs> so i guess the last thing to talk about would be the ending of the movie kind of the way it oh yeah ends, like the whole um so by this point in time, as the story's going on, the two brothers have been uh, collecting body parts, internal and external body parts, um, from these whores, sluts, and loose women. <laughs> and uh, they get to the very end, and what they've done is they've taken the leftovers and created a blood buffet, and they uh, take the body, this Frankenstein body of Shitar, uh, to a nightclub where they're going to go and have an ancient Lumerian feast, which has not been had in uh, five million years. Yes. So when they get to the very end, everyone has been given these uh, hunger, hunger pills, pills called yeah. hunger on 
appetite stimulant. The idea being that they will get so hungry that they will eat the blood feast, which is comprised of visibly human body parts. Um, and anybody who eats one of those hunger on pills just turns into, it turns green, <laughs> but it's like clearly they put a little bit of green yeah. makeup on the face. Yeah. <laughs> and you pointed out at one point that the Yeah, they the, get, it's like, rubbing the off as he's eating the blood buffet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so while this is going on, the brothers have the virgin, who's I believe we've called her Kimberly at this point yes. in time, who is uh, going to be sacrificed to Sheetar. She's going to be Sheetar's first meal. So they start talking through the... I don't know, literature around raising Sheetar from the dead. Um, and Sheetar's not coming back. Meanwhile, everyone starts uh, chowing down on the blood buffet. Finally, Sheetar wakes up. In a semi-innocuous way, she just kind of opens her eyes with no clue as what's going <laughs> on. It's just like she opens her eyes and you kind of expect there to be something. Some like even She like, immediately throws up on herself. She does. <laughs> well, if you haven't been anywhere in five million years and are comprised of decaying human remains, That's you true. too much. And your brain is a man. Your brain is his Uncle Anwar at this point in time, <laughs> uh, who finally got what he wanted. Yeah. In the end, he, yeah. he, he's the real hero of the story. <laughs> um, so yeah, so she tires alive with her uh, large chest vagina, toothed chest vagina. Oh yeah. Um, and her very weird... It's kind of like the thing... Where that guy's chest turns into the monster's mouth. Yeah, it's like yeah. that, but, but more vaginal, more teethy. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, puppetry by uh, Jim Henson. Yes, beautiful puppetry. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point in time, uh, they try to uh, try to sacrifice the virgin, but are foiled by our heroes. The cops. The two cops. The woman cop, I believe, who comes in first, right? Yeah, she shoots Michael. Yep. And in the eyeball. In the eyeball, Michael dies, and Georgie, who's... Upset by this, um, and throughout the entire movie, is really attached to his brother as like a his mentor. Ignores the virgin and Sheetar, who is alive and writhing around and shooting lightning bolts at people <laughs> yeah. at this point in time, and starts yelling at the uh, the cops. And from here, basically, more uh, gore ensues, and eventually and Sheetar escapes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Sheetar does eat Georgie's head off. Yes, at the very end, so um, Georgie throws a meat hook at the other cop, at the, the Greek misogynistic cop, and drags him across the floor with a meat hook, and finally a battle ensues. The female cop saves Greek cop, and they push uh, Georgie's head into Sheetar's vagina mouth. Yeah. But then they just let Sheetar escape. Well, because yeah. like the, the, what happens is they, there's that moment where the, the two cops come out and the hilariously Greek uh, <laughs> sergeant is like, is, that, what's, is, everyone, uh, is anyone alive in there? And they're like, I think that Sheetar is still... Or like They don't say Sheetar. They say that mess on the stage, we don't know about her, but everyone else is dead. Or yeah, and they, like walk, and they walk out. <laughs> and, yeah, and then cut to... After that scene. A woman in a red dress walking down the road. <laughs> who we don't see until the very last shot. Uh, being picked up by a man who... Uh, <laughs> What's that? The, the, the least smooth line. He's like, I'm hot, horny, and ready to go. And he and, says, like, before I put my big sausage in you, what's your name? <laughs> Something, that's a very close that to is that. exactly what he oh, said. Yep. Okay. <laughs> before I put my big sausage in you. And uh, it's romantic. she talked. And she says... I am Sheetar. <laughs> like the least feminine voice. And he still drives her away. Yeah. He's like, well, it's, I'm horny enough. It's essentially, yeah. like, as we point out, it's essentially the ending of Some Like It Hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With, with the reveal like, like, oh, Osgood, I'm Sheetar. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the only other thing would be, what happens after that? 
What is? Yeah, they do drive off, and also she's also, just sitting there. Yeah. And she's not killing him, right? Well, so it's also the same ending as Teeth. Yes, you're right. It is like the. It's pretty much exactly the combination of the ending of Teeth and the ending of Some Like It Hot. Yeah, it's the perfect. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> so Sheetar may be out there now. Yeah, and we don't know. And really, this movie is open for a reboot. This is like the clearest <laughs> setup for a sequel well, ever. And that was one of the things I found out is this movie was meant to be a sequel to a 1963 movie called Blood Feast, mm-hmm. in which. A guy who's a caterer in Miami, he serves the god Ishtar. Oh, sounds hmm. a little like Which... Sheetar, and he murders young women. Hmm. The god Ishtar, another movie we'll be covering oh, Ishtar. on Secret Symbol eventually. Movie. But yeah, so this was meant to be a sequel, but then they were like, well, we're not really going to follow the plot of Blood <laughs> Feast, so they made it a standalone movie. That's smarter. This yeah. this would not have worked. As a but sequel. I'm curious if if Blood Feast is a comedy. I don't think it is. You I think yeah, it's I a horror movie. I don't know. I, I mean, don't... it's a '60s movie, so who knows? Is it? I, I don't know. I'm, is it a Roger Corman movie? Uh no, it's uh oh, it's a guy who has three names: Herschel, Herschel Gordon Lewis. Yeah, okay, we talked about him before. Yeah. yeah, okay, so that's probably a shitty movie. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why? What else did he do? Herschel Gordon-Lewis. I don't know. I mean, like, he did Wizard of Gore, and um, he's... Herschel Gordon-Lewis, here's the lamest way to describe his movies in... Um, Juno. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, like, Wizard, yeah. he's... Remember when Jason Bateman and uh, Ellen Page, like, watch a horror movie together, and it's, like, the way where she's like, oh, you're really cool. They watch Herschel Gordon-Lewis movies. Uh... And, and they, like, talk about Argento... And I think, like, Jason Bateman is the one who prefers Herschel Gordon-Lewis to Argento, which is fucking insane. Like, <laughs> our Dario Argento movies are, like, usually kind of shitty, but they're, like, trying so much harder. Well, they're very prettier. Yeah, well, Herschel Gordon-Lewis is, like, it's, like, that thing of just, like, listen, you're not watching this because you care about characters, you're not watching this because you care about how a movie looks, you're not watching this for plot, you just want excuses to see the, the gore that we are able, able to create. And mm-hmm. so, he, like, Wizard of Gore has, like, a scene where a woman's, like, laying on a table and she's, like, impaled with a drill and she's, like, writhing around. And it looks fake as hell. It's the, the scene that's looks... in June. Yeah, there you go, yeah. Oh, and okay. so it's, like, if Blood Feast is made by Herschel Gordon Lewis, then I am just automatically against it. But You're not gonna watch it? <laughs> I'll watch it. I'll, I'll watch anything. I don't want to just uh, not give it a shot, but I'm gonna assume it's bad. And I have my freedom as an American to assume <laughs> that Herschel Gordon Lewis made a bad movie. Stand your ground, man. Yep. Um, I also found out this movie was shot in three weeks, and when it came out, it was banned in certain provinces in Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Only Canada? Yeah. Certain provinces. Canada was like, some of our provinces can't handle this. (laughs) (laughs) Northwest Territories do not want your blood diner. Saskatoon, no thank you. Yep, it didn't say which which provinces, just that some of them. Oh no, Saskatoon is province. Saskatchewan? Yeah. That's the one I mean. <laughs> I was going to say Saskatoon. <laughs> I think Saskatoon's from Yukon Trail. You're just making up Star Wars yeah. provinces. Yeah. It's from the Bith system. <laughs> Let's travel to Saskatoon. <laughs> Hyperdrive to Saskatoon. Not under 12 parsecs. <laughs> um, hey, are we going to do a teachable moment Yeah, we should. Alright, Justin, this is the one thing I forgot to explain. You, uh, again? No, yeah. no, it's okay, I listened to the oh, couple yeah, so earlier. Listening. Cool. So, do you have a teachable moment ready? Yeah, actually, so, you touched on it earlier, but 
One of the things that I'm a huge fan in movies, especially when it's supposed to be a comedy, is the stuff going on in the background. And I think this movie, especially watching it over again, there is so much stuff going on in the background mm-hmm. yeah. that whether it was intentional or not, if it's just like the act, act, like the extras knowing they're on a shitty movie, so they're just like half-heartedly doing, doing whatever stuff, they want. I think as a director, understanding the entire frame that you're shooting, and again, this is giving Jackie Kong a lot of credit, but I think just that, especially in a comedy like this, that creates it created a bigger universe than yeah. just what was going on right in front of you. Yeah. Especially, like I said, because I noticed a lot of that stuff watching it this time that I hadn't noticed the previous nine times. Mm-hmm. So that would be what I would uh, would use as my teachable moment. Yeah, this. I mean, yeah, that's definitely something I love too. And just like the scene, there's a scene where Michael's talking to somebody at the the nightclub. And George is in the background just dancing to, like, a band that's seemingly playing only for him. Yeah. And there's no focus on that. It's just the thing you get in the background. Or those people fighting. At the yeah. police station, <laughs> the yeah. Police station. And, uh, and even just, like, extended to some of, like, the production design details. Like, uh, I wrote down the headline after the, the people at the aerobic studio get murdered. There's a headline in the newsroom that says, Nude aerobics get bloody workout. And uh, uh, when... When Michael or George are looking at a list of the things they need for the blood buffet, the very first thing on the list is six dog dicks, <laughs> which is, like, so specifically gross that it made me laugh as soon as I saw two, it. Two gold retrievers as well. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Oh, man. But the dog dicks can be any dog. Yeah, any dog. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You didn't... That wasn't a teachable moment from you. No, I'm saying... I was You're continuing off this point. Yeah. All right, so now is it my turn? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought you were trying to get out of it. No. I'm always trying to yeah, get out of it. Yeah, that's exactly what you're Well, uh, this movie, it's hard to have a teachable moment from this movie because we've watched a few movies like this movie and that they're gory and culty and intentionally bad. But I think one of the things that I really like about this movie and it kind of goes back to what we started with Justin and how that you found this movie is it really knows its audience. Yeah. Like every bit seems to play to the same sense of humor mm-hmm. and the the type of person who would watch a movie because of nude aerobics and karate would also enjoy like <laughs> gore and like you know someone getting their head deep fried or uh, right up my alley. A woman having like a <laughs> vagina in her stomach or you know, whatever. But I think that, that that's a really important part of making any kind of movie is just knowing who your audience is and playing it to them. Because we watch so many movies, Paolo and I do, where we watch it and we're like, who was that movie for? Mm-hmm. Who wanted to watch that movie? Or right. who... Who is the target audience of that movie? Like, I can't Father's think. Day. Oh, Father's Day. Day. Yeah, we just watched this movie with Robin Williams and Billy Crystal. So right off the bat, you're like, yeah, I'll watch that movie. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be a comedy. I never laughed. The movie is about them being tricked by an ex-girlfriend into finding her son because she's too lazy to find her own son. And she tricks them into finding it by telling them that... He is their son. And so you'd think that hijinks would ensue, but it's just them talking about how terrible their lives are for the whole movie. And also it's the type of movie where they're like, oh, well, this kid's into punk music, so what band can we get? Oh, my God. Sugar Ray. 
And there's like, there's like scenes where it's like people with like metal piercings in their face and tattoos and they're like tattered, like punk like clothing and they're watching like Sugar Ray rock out on stage. It's funnier to talk about it than just to watch it. Yeah. And there's, you, in all fairness, you did laugh ironically twice at the two different times Bruce Greenwood is in the Portageon <laughs> that gets backed into by a truck and the Portageon rolls down the hill. That's like, it happened twice? It happens it twice. Like twice. they drag it back up to the top and then it falls again. And it's like, God, what a humiliating thing to have to do as an actor to be in that kind of scene. That poor guy. Yeah. I hope I mostly laugh because later it pays off with Bruce Greenwood getting hosed down wearing like nothing but his underwear. Yeah, yeah. he's looking you real. Love Bruce Greenwood, he's yeah. looking real good. <laughs> I love Bruce Greenwood too. <laughs> um, in case you're wondering who Bruce Greenwood is, he is in the first reboot of Star Trek. Uh, he's like the captain mentor guy who secretly okay, isn't he secretly evil? No. He's a bad guy. In the second, in the second yeah. one. Oh, he's a good guy. But he, he like gonna, dies in the first one, right? He dies in the second one. I'm thinking it's oh, Commander Pike, right? Not the guy that. Not Peter Weller. Yeah, not 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 Robocop. Not Robocop. Yeah, he dies in the second one. Oh, I knew um, he wasn't around too long. Spoiler alert for a shitty movie, guys. <laughs> hey, R two D two makes an appearance. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know the theory that Star Trek Into, Into Darkness is a truther movie. I love truther. Is it? My God. Think about it. If you think about like what the plot is for that movie for too long, it's like stunningly obvious that it's All a right, 9-11 allegory. Uh, but anyway, and even the director himself, and not the director, but the writer admitted, like, yeah, that's exactly what I was going for because that's what I believe. Like, wow. like, so it's not like we're not just presuming. Whoa. It's, yeah, yeah. Talk about a twist. What the Welcome twist? to Twist Town. What the twist? <laughs> um, but anyway, going back to knowing your audience, uh, my teachable moment. Um, in Father's Day, yeah, they they just blew it. They totally blew it. They had Robin Williams and Billy Crystal, and they didn't use it to their advantage. Whereas this movie had nobody, and <laughs> used everything. To and used everything to its yeah. advantage. So there you go. Well, okay. And my teachable moment uh, was pretty much yeah. All of this is going to be pretty close together. But I, I was thinking about earlier we in the episode we we were talking about how all the good movies that we reviewed or the movies that we've reviewed on this podcast that we more or less really liked are from the eighties and it was never intentional, but a big part of that is that in, it seems like in the eighties, there's this point where low budget filmmaking has access to materials uh, that give like even cheapo movies, the ability to make something really interesting, like seventies, low budget movies. Honestly, a lot of them for me are almost totally unwatchable. Because Are they all about cars? No, there's 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 about six. There's tons of different subgenres, but it's like there's and there was there is indie film movement like you see John Cassavetes is like low right. budget, but his stuff is very much about the characters and the writing, and like even something that's like artsy, that's a low budget movie like Ganja and Hess uh, is like it's almost impossible to stay awake through it because they just they really just don't have the means to do what they need to do. They don't, like, the, I, just technology has not advanced enough where they can't stretch their money. But in the 80s, you start to see that. And so you also start to see this democratization of filmmaking where you go, you can go to a movie and see a really, like, a high-budget movie and then see a second movie as part of a double bill that's like a low-budget nothing movie 
but you start to see those ideas get bigger and better venues. And so you see those things influencing movies just because you're like, well, I didn't realize we could do it this way. I've always seen the Hollywood way of doing it. Um, And so with movies like this, uh, compared to like movies like Brain Damage or Superstar, where you're really seeing what happens where you substitute professionalism with enthusiasm. And Uh, uh, professionalism is great if what you're being professional about is inherently amazing and there's only one way to do it and it's the professional way. And I guess the equivalent for something like that would be like Magnolia. Or Ang Lee. Or or something like something that's like, it is, it has to be done perfectly. Or like Goodfellas is like a very accessible thing. You can't do like Goodfellas, a big part of why it's so great is because of, just like the power and the money put behind it, but also because of the techniques Scorsese and the acting and and stuff like that. Yeah. But with, um, superstar and brain damage and blood diner, we're seeing people who, who just really, it doesn't matter that they have access to Hollywood. They presumably are just like, well, I want to make something. I'm not going to wait until someone tells me I'm allowed to make something or tells me what I get to make. I want to make what I want to make. And so we get some, like in Blood Diner, it's not a perfect movie. We've talked pretty endlessly about how it is not a perfect (laughs) movie. But because of that, we laughed so much during the movie. We laughed so much remembering the movie. It's a movie that all of us have seen multiple times in a very likely see multiple times again in the future, which isn't even necessarily true of movies that we've liked on the podcast, like Brain Damage. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is a very enjoyable movie, and it's a good thing to remember that it's not always about just who is going to be the best person for material. It's the person who wants to make a movie fun, and who is just going to do a good job. There's, there's no reason to just limit it to people who have, like, work their way up to the top to get to make everything. People at the bottom have great ideas and you have to give them a chance to get those ideas out before they just get burnt out and only make like boring stuff because that's what they're told to make or that's what they're allowed to make. Yeah, like the King's Speech guy. Yeah, like everything oh, that, that everything that he worst. has made. Tom Hooper, that's his name. Everything he it's makes. It's not Toby Hooper. Yeah, it's not Toby Hooper. Who Toby Hooper is a bad director, but Tom Hooper is way worse and way more useless to me. There is no benefit to the King's Speech, or to his version of Les Miserables, or anything. It's just like he's a uh, or I the Danish girl. Like yeah. that's the other movie he did. He just he just creates crap that looks expensive. And Blood Diner <laughs> is crap, but it is so much more useful to me because I know that when I want to laugh at that kind of joke, Blood Diner will make me laugh. It, it will succeed. It yeah. remains funny after yeah. ten viewings. Yeah. yeah. Um, one question I'd have is, do you guys think that a movie like this could be made today? Yeah, definitely. It could be made today, but would it get a wide release? No. And I don't know necessarily if this one got a wide release, but I feel like it was made for its time. Yeah. Yeah. I think like the equivalent of this is just, this is very much of the 80s. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the jokes and like a lot of what is interesting about it is very specific to the 80s. But you could do the equivalent of this now. Like, I would almost say... Um, well, we just watched Slither, and Slither oh, yeah. is like a trauma movie. It's like a tribute to oh, that sort of thing. Oh, and it's so gross. Have you but seen it, that? I think so. The director was, of Guardians of the Galaxy. Isn't Jenna Fisher in it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that movie is gross and disgusting, but it's like it's hilarious. Yeah, it updates it uh, just enough so that it's it's like a two thousands movie, but it nails what is interesting about the eighties thing. And I would almost um, to push it like to an extreme, I would say a more recent equivalent of this type of filmmaking is like Spring Breakers, where it's Spring Breakers is clearly not made to like please anybody but like the people who made it but every once in a while during that movie like the britney spears sing-along sequence with the guns yeah Yeah, with the guns it's just where he's playing the piano it's Uh like that whole movie is worth it just when you get to that scene it's like you might have been totally bored and zoned out as i know you and i were here there was a guy literally snoring theater but, yeah. yeah but when that moment happened i was like this is the shit i watch movies for and it's like when i watched she hate me and anthony mackie's face was on his semen and it was like this is so fucking crazy or even ex Machina when oscar isaac does that dance yeah great like, dance all great the scene. all the best most memorable moments of movies are those weird jagged moments that don't aren't flush with everything else that happens yeah and it, like, it's honestly, like, if you're willing to take one for the team and be like, yeah, I made a movie that's not perfect, but it's filled with shit like that, then honestly, like, I'll forgive that. I will always come back to a movie like that, and I'll always recommend a movie like that, because, yeah, it, you're more likely than not gonna get something out of it, whereas, like, yeah, an artsy movie, you kind of have to be in the right, like, a very specific mood, or it might be too slow, and you might be too distracted. Blood Diner, you could walk in halfway through and still love it, still get a lot out of yeah. it. And watching it straight through, you get a little bit more out of it. Yeah, I 100% agree. Alright, well, uh, if that's it, you guys, anything else Justin, to say? Justin, you got anything else you want to talk about? No, I think I'm good. Thank right. you guys for uh, for having yeah, me. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for being on the podcast. Yeah. We'll have to have you back again. Yeah, I'd love to do it again. We're going to definitely do another one. Oh, yeah. Sounds good. Well, all right, this has been The Secret Cinema. I'm Paolo. I'm Carrie. And I'm Justin. Thanks for listening. Bye. Il mio nome cita. Secret Cinema is produced and edited by Carlo Crowe. All theme songs were performed and recorded by Ricardo Ortiz. Any additional music or samples come from the film covered on this week's episode. All logos and artwork created by Carrie Chan. You can follow Carrie on Instagram at CarrieSawThis and see more of her artwork at www.carriechafee.com. You can watch Paolo's short films at vimeo.com slash paolocrone or read more of his ramblings about film at letterbox.com slash The Secret Cinema is a commentary and criticism podcast, and its use of film dialogue and film music for illustrative purposes falls under the fair use provisions of the U.S. copyright. Thanks again for listening.